Welcome to this week's episode of Strategy Guide. It is your boy Ty Presto hosting. We got Tracer, BK, and not Roman today, but we got Alex. <gasps> all that and more. We all just spoke over the weekend and uh, decided Dune is one of those movies that you got to go see in theaters. That and more coming up soon on Strategy Guide. All right, so with me, I got a couple people, but first we're going to be talking about the rules. Five rounds, five topics. I'm going to give a point up for something that they say that is good or down for something that I don't think is that good at all. But there's no strategy guide without those who, in which he is guiding. Let's meet the players. We'll start with you, BK. Hey, my name's BK. Um, I've been missing Subway a lot lately, so... I don't know what it is. Subway kind of just fell off the map, but I've been craving that a bit lately. So gun to your head, how would you have it your way? Uh, I think that's Burger King. <laughs> that's yeah, Burger that's King. That's definitely Burger yeah, King. Yeah, I just I just missed the bread. The bread was so good. The bread yeah. was good. Yeah, I'm BK. Fraser. Uh yeah, thanks for having me, Ty. And gotta toss it back to you. How does it feel going into film now that it's a hazardous occupation? <laughs> <laughs> too soon, too soon. Damn. <laughs> I don't know if anybody ever played Hitman Absolution, but like there's literally literally a scene in there that like Alec Baldwin more or less did. That's right, folks. We went there. Going off the rails. (laughs) We don't have Roman with us, but we got someone just as sexy, Alex. Hey, everybody. This is Alex. And uh, whenever I'm listening to a good song, I roll the windows down to let everyone outside know how cool I am. (laughs) (laughs) What did you listen on the way over here? Foo Fighters. (laughs) Alex, I'm really looking forward to this. You know how the game is played? Brandon's kind of like our debate guy. You could call him a master debater. I'm more of like vocal talent. I wear a lot of hats. I'm kind of the jack of all trades you could think of me as. Yeah, he's kind of bad at the game and I'm good at the game. I don't know what you're talking about. He gets a lot of pity points that I have to deal with. Well, you know, they do still add up. (laughs) How do you find yourself in between those? (sighs) I guess we'll find out. We're going to find out. Over this last weekend, the long-awaited adaptation of Frank Herbert's Dune saw theaters for the first time. Well, not necessarily the first time. We've seen David Lynch's as well as Jodorowsky's um, films in the past. But this is Timothy Chalamet's, if I said that right, and Denny Villeneuve's, if I said that right, Mm -hmm. first, you know, this is the first part of the Dune series. We all saw it in theaters last Thursday. What do you guys think? Why the hell did it end in the middle? Like, I don't... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, also, I want to correct you. It's Timoteo Chalamet. Timoteo? Chal- Chalamet. <laughs> Tim Thai? Uh, it was awesome. I loved it. Um, I think uh, it's exactly what it needed to be. It's uh, an adaptation that sacrificed what it had to. And we all came into that expecting that. Like it's Dune. It's a massive book. It's so much content. So they have to make their sacrifices where they can. I think they did the necessary ones and kept what they had to uh, enough to translate it to the rest of the audience. Trey, what they sacrifice? Just just out of curiosity. Uh, The politics. uh, The the context. Do Dude, I was 10 when I read the fucking book. <laughs> Sounds like so he's they, posturing, uh, <laughs> moderators. So. What, what do you feel like, Brandon? I mean, uh, do you think that they did like true to the book or do you think that the con- in unconventional storytelling was kind of like- As someone who just read a children's book for the first time uh, a week ago. So, I mean, there's parts that, that uh, they covered really well. I think for the most part, they nailed it. There were some small, minute details. Um, they kind of screwed up the mentats in the movie. 
And then there was like a few scenes that they cut out. Like there's this one political dinner um, that they had with both the natives as well as like kind of the more business corporate men of Dune. Whoa, indigenous like, peoples of Arrakis. Exactly. Excuse me. Fuck <laughs> <Like>, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but that did a lot of character development and kind of painted uh, a different color to some of the dynamics within Dune that they left out. But other than that, for the most part, I think they did a good job. Thank you. Um, so overall good, but there's some small things I would have liked to see. What about you, Alex? Did you ever uh, participate in the, I don't know, read any of the shit or watch any of the movies beforehand? Yeah, I read the book for the first time uh, earlier this year. And uh, I think for me, I set the bar really low going in because- Really? Yeah. I mean, when you know, when you read a book or when you like cling on to it, you're like, oh no. You see things a certain way. Yeah. yeah. Don't destroy Don't destroy my book. It's my book. Like, <laughs> yeah. Especially for something as dense as Dune. Like you, oh, yeah. I was going into that thinking, okay, this is going to be either really good or really bad. And I just wanted to set my expectation low in case. Yeah. And it, it blew me away. I was like, uh, say it's so true to the story. It's uh, a perfect use of Dennis Villanueva's skills of like broad landscapes. It's exactly yeah. what you need for Dune. I loved it. Okay, but like, what if Michael Bay directed Dune? Uh, there'd be <laughs> lens flares everywhere, all the cliches. Yeah, yeah, there'd yeah. Be more sand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Could anyone have directed that better? I don't think so. Not a single person. I think it was really? perfect. No man. one. I think there's nobody who, other than Denny Villeneuve, is what I would argue <laughs> his name is. Is there's nobody could do it. Maybe Alec Garland, but he does not have the scope and the um, the epic scale. You don't think James Cameron could have stepped to it? James Cameron's too up his own ass. Really? Yeah. Maybe 20 years ago before <laughs> Lord of the Rings. but Yeah. I mean, he's got four more Avatar sequels in the works right now. So uh, I think I he's a pretty it. busy guy. I know. But like, if I looked at the way, I mean, Avatar is a bit more like colorful and like, mm. yay, but like, you know, it wouldn't have fit the Dune vibe. No. But like in terms of grand scale, like I feel like in the past he's hit it. Um, but yeah, you know, he might've made it too bright and colorful. I'll give you that for, you know, I, I agree with you because of the fact that, you know, he could have done visually, but I think Hans Zimmer was actually the one who carried that entire movie. Really? His audio. So and I want to say yeah. this, like, if you didn't see it the way that we saw it in what a Dolby digital Dolby cinema. Yeah. yeah. I mean the sound the first time, you know, the, the Benny Jesuit used the voice like, mm. holy shit. Mm. I, I jumped out of the seat. That was the, the sound in that theater was crazy. And excuse you, they are not Jewish. They're the Benny Jesuit. Gen, gen, I almost said it. Jesuit. Jesuit. Benny Jesuit. Yeah. Okay. That's also another thing to go to your point with like, you know, when you read a book, it's yours, but yeah. then when it goes to a movie, it's theirs. Yeah. Like the pronunciation of words is what gets me every single <laughs> yeah. time. In like, my head, it was always Fremen. And then they go and they just roll straight with Freeman. I was like, okay, all right. It I was guess Freeman we're going with me. that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, it was smart. Fremen for me. Yeah. Do you guys ever do that thing in books where, I mean, this book has a lot of errors in it because yeah. it's sort of Islamic influences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They straight up have the yeah. Quran in the in Ex the books. Exactly. Yeah. Do you guys ever do this thing where you're reading and you're like, I, I'm too lazy to pronounce this correctly. Yeah. So you just, 100%. you don't even read the word in your head. You just kind of like remember that, like that thing. Like, and then you, can't. you just kind of have this like, yeah, <laughs> like a missing note. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> Um, but if you're not seeing it in cinema, like in a, in a theater, you're doing yourself a disservice. I saw it on, uh, that it was on HBO. I didn't even think it was going to go there, but which by the way, is that going to take a huge hit out of the profits? Like we've been seeing with, uh, Disney releases and how they've been lower at the box office because they're releasing on Disney plus And like, what's that going to mean for the sequel? Great that, question. <laughs> no, that's a super good question. I mean, it depends on how much money is contracted to go to 
the filming of it based on streams, right? Because like Disney was kind of sketchy about it when it came to Black Widow. Yeah. You know, they were only guaranteeing money for Scarlett Johansson as well as the set based on revenue from the box office. Yeah. So if they amended the contract to say, hey, we're also going to give you some cut of the total streams. But um, then is is HBO still seeing the profit of those streams and being like, this was profitable. We want to do a sequel. Like it, it doesn't, I to me, HBO's maybe- HBO isn't it, funding it, right? Yeah, they are. Oh, well, so I don't know Brothers. if they're, I don't know if they're funding it, but like they're the hoster, like Warner, Warner Brothers owns the property of Dune. So therefore they're like putting it on their streaming platforms. The same way like Black Widow is to Disney's like the same way Dune is to this. Okay. Um, it was interesting because they had the, like, I don't know, market this as only theaters, but up until this week, I didn't know that they were doing streaming. Same. Yeah. I had no idea. And so that's what I'm interested to see if like it takes a cut out of that box office number yeah. they use to judge uh, if it's profitable or not. And HBO can still see all of those profits. They might just not go to the production of Dune. Yeah. But if HBO is seeing that, will they still like be green light the sequel? Yes. I yeah. think they will. Yeah. I, yeah. I heard a rumor that this, they, they shot this like Peter Jackson, like at least the one and two, like, so it's already done. Makes sense. Oh. And oh. like, it's just going to be releasing next year at this time. Yeah, no can, way. Can you imagine taking a break. Like, <laughs> yeah. So the marketing I want to bring up, I don't think ever said anything about part one. As soon as we get in the theater and the, yeah. dance, like it's a part one, I was like, they did not fucking no. mention that. They just yeah. attack, they attack on Titan that shit. Yeah, they totally did. <laughs> Fuck you. In that sense, Warner Bros. Because I fucking hate you for so many other reasons. Bruh. To Warner Bros. Yeah. Um, but Dune was great in a visual aspect, uh, as well as the audio aspect. Yeah, but going back to Trey's point, um, and kind of what me and Alex were like defending is like even if the total viewership or revenue isn't great, or like total box office as well as streams isn't amazing. I think it's going to be dependent on reviews, right? Because if they have enough like positive reviews or good ratings, it's almost going to be like a foothold. And they say, you know, regardless if we release a second one or not, the first one is such good momentum that we can kind of just build off that. Cause like right now in this industry, it's so, it's so desperate off like remakes and reboots. Yeah. So if they can just build off something that's fresh and new and just do a part two um, and they can roll with the momentum from like the positive reviews, then I think they definitely will. Even if it doesn't make like a billion dollars right off the bat. And everything is caveated right now with COVID. You know, yeah. Oh, 100%. Like they're going to look at it and they're going to have to somehow mash up the, you know, in theater results with the streaming results. And it's kind of like a bizarre, like there's always going to be an asterisk next yeah. to the box office performance oh, exactly. of these movies. Yeah. Like, <laughs> if this were not COVID, it would have made $10 trillion yeah, and exactly. broken every record or whatever, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. Which is the shit Disney does, right? They yeah. say like, oh, we made like this much money box office and this much money on streaming. Like, but how do you know streaming? Yeah. Well, it's interesting with Shang-Chi's release. They did not do streaming whatsoever. That is the number one grossing movie in America as of the moment. It did not once play in China, which is like, we're probably like 30% of the box office numbers come from they're not at a billion dollars they're like at 840,000 840 million but like shit that's pretty impressive without China numbers if you know what I mean yeah. I also want to thank you for using the correct pronunciation and making me feel like an asshole for the Shang, past like Shang-Chi <laughs> Villanue Timothy I've been saying Shang-Chi for like I've been months. saying I've been saying Shang-Chi yeah is it, is it, Shang-Chi huh oh god I feel terrible <laughs> is it Timo Timothy Timote Timothy that's the I, wild west I couldn't tell you I I know, I know French men named, they go, my name is Timote. A French man. You know? I just call him Tim Tam yeah, at this from, point. He's from New York. So like, yeah, we, we can't do that. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I think he did it just for like the, the stage presence. Okay. <laughs> the mystery of, oh, he's French. That's right. Yeah. And then he's got a Brooklyn accent. He's like, Hey, what's up? <laughs> I'm walking in. Yeah. The French dispatch also came out over the weekend Two uh, 
I wouldn't say starring role. I guess starring roles in um, for Timothy Chalamet over the weekend. Yeah. Like both Dune and French Dispatch came out on the twenty second. Um, happy was birthday it, to you! Thank you. Yeah. Was it was it good? I liked it a lot. I mean, if you like Wes Anderson, you're gonna like it. Okay. Right. So okay. I mean, he just came out with two bangers back to back. Yeah, I would I would good say both him. movies were like fantastic. This I was talking to Anna about this. Like, why is Timothy so hot right now? And it's just like, well, he's. He is taking challenging roles at his age, yeah. like the potential that his yeah. career has in the future. I'm so excited for How it. old is he? He's got to be like 22, something like that. He's, he's 25. 25. 25? Yeah. Yes. So if he's taking these kinds of roles and nailing them, um, I just can't wait to see what he can do later on. He looks like a real life anime character to me. He does. <laughs> he's really like profile. He's so skinny, you know? And during <laughs> Dune, you know, was, Attack on Titan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was yeah. watching him during Dune and it was like the silhouette. I'm like, this looks like an anime. Like, yeah. yeah, no, that's actually yeah, a good yeah, point. Yeah. It's a good point with you, Trey, because like, I feel like when you look that young, you're usually playing high schoolers, playing like really shitty roles in like probably like a Netflix funded movie and shit, but he's like, he's a leading man at, leading man at 25 is he hard is to pull off. Yeah. So. Watch out, Tom Holland. Tom Holland ain't got shit. Last question with Zendaya to you, Brandon. How is your opinions towards Zendaya? So, okay, yeah. They, they I, you know, I, I hate proving myself wrong, but she actually did pretty good in Dune. I was kind of expecting her to be like the same, like, you know, what's the flat HBO? depressive like like just like well-spoken like un like people don't understand her teenager yeah you know like oh hey paul <laughs> <You know? laughs> but she kind of was like that was her character she, in dune she had four lines but she managed yeah. not to fuck it up so. <laughs> i hope we'll all. see a lot more of her in like part two but yeah. for round one we're giving it to trey hey, hey let's go done, boys trey. all right we'll see you in round two <laughs> time for trey to take this round two <laughs> In your dreams, bubble boy. <laughs> At the table with me, we got Trey, Alex, and Brandon. Missing is Roman, but previously we've been part of a Star Wars Fantasy Flight uh, RPG. Um, that was discontinued. I don't remember what year. I want to say 2017, but rumor has it, it is coming back. Uh, Fantasy Flight is going to be doing a new series of uh, Star Wars RPGs, and... We're excited. We think there's mechanics that are very similar to D&D that, uh, you know, Star Wars does better. But in general, like, let's start off. Uh, Alex, where's Bronx Zan? <laughs> <laughs> What's he been up to in the hiatus? <laughs> Do, do your viewership actually know? No, they don't. <laughs> like, this, is how, this is like purely an inside joke. Yeah, uh, uh, genuinely, it was like that's sick. <laughs> made it to the podcast. now. You just have to talk in a Birmingham accent this entire time. But anyways, I, I think so. The, the way the story was, I think it was Fantasy Flight's creator or producer or something was taking the 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 game over to a different production studio. Yep. And so for them to breathe new life into the Star Wars game itself is is beautiful because yeah, there were things that it did right and uh it kind of fell off before its time. Like Definitely. I think yeah. it didn't get enough attention. Um also Fantasy Flight is all over the place. They have Warhammer, they have all kinds of different tabletops. So like they didn't really give it maybe all of the attention it deserved. Um also monetize the fuck out of it. So yeah, <laughs> they really do. I, I mean I think we're learning that D D is very much propel has a very much like influencer phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Like I think D D really just picked up um as many players as it did for two reasons. One is critical role. The other is you could say, I'd hate to say it, but probably part of stranger things, right? Yeah. Uh, D and D or star Wars. Sorry. D and D. Okay. Yeah. So star Wars was kind of riding the coattail a bit because it was just a good game, but right. like being a good game isn't enough to draw 
you know, people to play it. Right. Um, it needs like exposure as well as marketing. And it really had none of that. Cause none of us had heard of it. No. Like, the only reason I heard of it is cause you got it for me for the Christmas present. Yeah. And it's just like, uh, coincidental Google searches of like, yeah. is there a star Wars tabletop yeah. and people discover it. And yeah, there wasn't enough attention given to it. Um, and you're right. Like D and D has caught on because of the combination critical role of stranger things. So maybe people are just seeing the success and wanting to capitalize. Definitely. On that, so. I mean, like think about the reason why we got into D and D it's because we watched that Vin Diesel like promo. For exactly. With critical role. Yeah. 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 That was like the main reason we got into it. If someone was doing the same for star Wars, like if the star Wars cast did, Oh God. Did that? Could you imagine? <laughs> Oscar Isaac, just like Adam Driver. <laughs> just like why <laughs> get Mark Hamill to guest star? Dude, they would be so down. That would be insane. Yeah. That people people would be buying it like crazy. Yeah. In yeah. all fairness, I think that the height of the Star Wars RPGs, I don't know, publication came at probably episode eight, which was Shit. debatably, you know, the second to worst Star Wars movie behind episode nine. It the okay. game itself <laughs> the game itself, I believe, started in twenty twelve or so. Like it's it's relatively older. Yeah. Right around so. the time Disney got the acquisition rights and then yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, that sounds about and right. And I, I believe Disney gave it gave their rights for the game to Fantasy Flight specifically, and so it's it's something that like kind of they were using to launch the new sequel is the new sequels, yeah. and they just fell off. And so, yeah, for them to be breathing new life into it, I'm so excited. Yeah, I mean, it's just a bigger indicator too, because like you know what I wanted to talk about is like you see Avatar: The Last Airbender is getting yeah. an official licensed D and D game. You yeah. see Cowboy Bebop is getting official oh, licensed really? D and D. Yeah, it is. Oh, Weird. Yeah, that's so cool. I don't know how it go, or where it go, and how people get into it, but like, it's just showing that there's a market there, and people are really trying to dive into the niches. Mm. So, I thought the Star Wars one was super fun. Yeah, and I don't know how you felt about it as DM. Oh, I loved it. Did it give you a lot of like creative flexibility? Yeah, I mean, it was yeah. just it was just very streamlined. Like, I feel yeah. like in regular D and D, you have to like think about a lot more numbers, rules, and yeah. yeah parameters. But Star Wars is kind of just like fuck it, you'll figure it out as you go. <laughs> but that's the beauty <laughs> yeah. of these different tabletop games. They all come with different systems and mechanics. And so, like when you find one that latches on to you, that's what it's so great that it's starting to distribute and get like horizontal, where all all these different subcultures have niches and they play their one niche. There's Star Wars now. There's Avatar. There's uh, Cowboy Bebop and like you're seeing all these different subcultures latch on and each one of them comes with its own system and so it's just like you find what fits and you start playing it and maybe one of them catches on. Yeah so we're gonna sl- like quickly see within the next year or two these games are all gonna be great and like well done well written have good resources ah. but they okay that is my thought <laughs> but they will only be as successful as the influencer base playing those games and publishing content yeah. online about those games. You're right. Yeah, he's hundred percent right. I mean, I yeah. think Twitch is the, the next marketplace for all these things. Like they really need to go after YouTubers, Twitch, uh, people who have like pull on these audiences exactly. to get into them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause that's the only way people are going to find out about these games and see like, Oh, like, you know, I want to do this or I want to make my own show or like, I want to make my own thing with this being like in the, in the business of niche subcultures. Yeah. Like it would be so hard if you're just a passive fan, you oh, yeah. love cowboy bebop, but you're just a passive fan. You don't play a lot of video games or tabletop games. And all of a sudden a random Google search brings you to the cowboy bebop game. So yeah, like it's going to be difficult for people to get the word out. I think also with the avatar game, it's a Kickstarter and it blew up and I have yeah. zero faith in Kickstarters because yeah. like they always can't scale. So that's my biggest fear with that one at least is there's so much hype around 
these titles and for them to get the millions of dollars that the avatar game got, I think it was like six or 7 million, 9 million. Fuck. So they have to scale to a ton of money. They have to scale to 9 million with a team of probably, I have no idea how much are on it, but yeah, 20 people. (laughs) Yeah. At best. So the, uh, fortunately with tabletop chain people, (laughs) (laughs) Jesus, don't get me started. I just have to say though, I love Kickstarter. Like if you're a startup, Kickstarter is the dream because it's like you're, you're getting funded for free and, or like I get to charge seven X for my product (laughs) and with like no, no expectation of equity, you know, (laughs) you bring a great point up. It's like a bunch of people, great ideas without any of the execution behind them to actually make these things scalable. I, I don't know. So here's the thing, Cowboy Bebop and Avatar, uh, transitioning to that. Those are pretty niche things. Like get together four or five friends to play a tabletop version or, um, I don't know, an RPG of that. Like, do you think you could? It would be difficult, but yeah. maybe, I mean, Avatar, you probably could, but something like Cowboy Bebop, it's going to be tough, but, and you need that in-person player base. So yeah, I don't know. You don't think so? I don't know, but I, I, I think just with the, the success that Avatar has seen, you're going to be, that one has more faith. My yeah. only, my only problem is it's going to be too popular. And the, the Kickstarter is not going to be, it's giving them too many keys to the kingdom where they're just going to like fumble it. Mm. Let's get into growth. I mean, like, so I thought, yeah, we have two MBAs here. Uh, (laughs) One real, one fake. (laughs) (laughs) Alex is a fake one. My my eyes are going to glaze over for this entire part, but, uh, so I guess, how do we scale? Because I thought a big issue with the Star Wars was I felt almost kind of paywalled with the amount of expansions that yes. I, I felt as if I had to buy three books just to do one thing. Yes. Mm. You, you know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, how do I expand? I am Avatar. I have $9 million in Kickstarter funds. And now it's like, okay, now we need to make expansions because this is what makes these games mm-hmm. like relevant. Right. Yep. Continue to like pump out expansions that fuel the game's meta. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They need to create a system or create a way that um, it's easily easy for players or like non-employed people to create homebrew content and circulate across the web, right? Because if someone was writing just like, there's a lot of great D&D campaigns out there that are homebrew. Oh yeah. But there's not an easy way to find them and the format's very inconsistent. If there's a way where people could publish like homebrew content or stuff that was like very fresh in a way that's easy to read, digest and play, um, then I think it would help propel the game on its own. And that's going to take a subculture. It yeah. would take a subculture, but if they make it easy enough, it, like you're basically just like allowing people to be like creative and artistic on their own without actually being employed. Like it's a win-win for everybody. You know, that's great, Brandon, but I'm going to talk to somebody <laughs> who has an actual MBA. Uh, <laughs> Alex, know, what do you think about scaling? So, so just, just <laughs> interesting. I mean, it's kind of got me thinking like, I'm, you know, I'm curious what like a subscription model would look like for some, I mean, have they, have any of them ever tried it? No, it's a good idea though. Be kind of, yeah, yeah, it is a great MBA idea. points. This is why we have him here. <laughs> yeah. Well, at the same time, me, you guys, classic <laughs> MBA move in 2021, join a company at age 20 something and be like, let's go with a subscription model. <laughs> you are the poison yeah. in the well. Yeah. So. <laughs> EA, right? Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is, this is what everything is turning to, but you have a point. Like that's how uh, a company can keep a successful player base, keep them coming back. It's honestly a genius idea because think about it, it's a quarterly release, typically when it comes to metas for TCGs as well as RPGs. Yeah. So it's like, if you do what, I say $50 a quarter and they send you what, the newest book? Dude, if D&D did that, yeah, oh my God, sweet. if Star oh Wars did that, I like, would yes. jump on that yesterday. That's my biggest complaint about Star Wars is all the books you have to buy just to play the fucking game. And so like, if they did that, that's kind of genius. God damn it, Alex, you're hired. <laughs> <laughs> 
On for one episode, he's already doing all of the fucking fantasy flights business <laughs> models. Holy shit. Well, just being new to it, it's like, you know, the other day I was telling you, Brandon, like, I'm trying to make my character, and it's like, I want to be a damn cat pirate. I know, <laughs> and, the, and you oh, have to, like, go through- paywalled. Like, yeah. paywalls, yeah. yeah. But if I if I knew I was committed to d and I'd, like, just pay a subscription, like, give me my cat pirate. And on top of that, too, it's like, it's giving you no incentive to buy digital content versus um, print content, you know, where it's like, you prefer the print content, but, like- it doesn't give you any of the digital stuff that you need to actually make your character, mm, right? right? But like, I'm not gonna sacrifice buying the print content just so I can fucking have a cat pirate on yeah. <laughs> on my tablet. Yeah. We yes. talked earlier this year about D&D like releasing the amount of numbers that they're bolstering, like 50 million players. And right. you know, we talked about stats there, but like, what did they do to stay relevant if we got all this other competition coming in from Star Wars, Avatar, yada yada? Cowboy they're Bebop. the golden goose. Like they're the ones everybody's chasing after. So yeah, they're gonna see stuff getting pulled away, some some player base getting God, pulled away. So. But I I think they're they're the exception to the rule. Like well, they're gonna stay mm, successful. So I disagree, right? They're at a point where they they have the market, so they're just trying to grow. Like mm-hmm. they're just trying to be like they've been coming out with a lot more content in the past two years than they have like the like That's true. past three or four years prior to that. Yeah. So what I'm thinking now is that when people enter the market and they're going to be actually providing challenge and pulling away customers, they might actually stepping up, they might step up their content actually be quality instead of just quantity. Ooh, I would hope. Yeah. With that last point, Brandon wins that round. Good oh, uh, so point. I mean, I do think that they have like the crown right now and they need to take the steps to fucking keep it. Yeah. And it's digital. If honestly, they need to make it some way that like, say for instance, D&D Beyond, I fucking hate the fact that I own these books and I can't digitally I use know. them until yeah. I spend $40 online on yep. D&D Beyond. I'm yep. like, well, that's just fucking stupid. Right. I think Brandon takes the fake round, but Alex wins the business model. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but just sorry, adding all that, if Star Wars did step up their game and if they got Critical Role to like do one episode of Star Wars, you would see such a huge chunk of D&D people leaving. Yeah. 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 Fantasy fight, please get your shit together. <laughs> We're not even going to get started on this. (laughs) Dice Masters, get your shit together. It just reported that God of War is coming to PC with 4K resolution in January. This is a big move for PlayStation as it previously has not had many titles come over to the PC as most of the titles have been PlayStation exclusives as of this moment. Previously... Horizon Zero Dawn. Nice. Um, Not Zero Dark Thirty. Thank you. <laughs> and about God of War are the only things that are making their way to PC. So Dude, Ghost of Tsushima not? No. That's I don't think it is. I think they talked about it. Maybe okay. maybe Last of Us? No, I don't think so either. Oh, you don't think so? Yeah, that, uh, no, no, I do see The Last of Us. I just looked it Ooh, up. And okay. also Marvel Spider Man. Deathloop launched on PC and so that's got, right, which is sick yeah, for okay. me because I'm an Xbox player. Nice. So it launched on PC. Yeah, so together that's with PlayStation, yeah. five titles that are like straight yeah. to, you know, those are good titles. All those ones are like the core essentials. Yep. Um, what do we think about PlayStation's move over into the play or the PC marketplace? It's smart. I mean, Xbox already doing it right, so it makes sense that Sony would be trying to do their own thing without creating the infrastructure for like a Play Store for people to download stuff. Yeah. yeah. I think they're known for being the most exclusive. And so for them to be starting to smudge that a little bit, smudge their reputation over is, I mean, it's, it's smart from a business perspective as like, I don't play a lot of PlayStation games, but as a PlayStation player, like, is that something that you're happy about or not? Brandon. (laughs) (laughs) I, I mean, like, like you said, they're, they're trying to expand, but they're doing it in a very smart way. Like they're dipping their toes in the water, which is like, okay, we're just going to be streaming on the internet. Hear that, Trey? 
<laughs> I don't play PlayStation games, so I just have already forfeited this. Yeah, round. if only someone gave you like a God of War limited edition. If only PS4. someone gave me a tabletop uh, topic. Oh wait, I lost that too. <laughs> yeah, but what happens is like I guess they. I, I think you bring up a really good point, Brandon. Is they didn't do their own store like Epic did. Ga- Xbox Game Pass does yeah. it through Game Pass. You yeah. know, it's so smart. They're going through Steam. Like smart. I, I I think it's very smart, and they're also testing their water. So like, yes, you earn two points this round, and everyone else is zero because of the fact that it's like these are really great topics to bring right. into perspective. All right, I'll say I think it's a smart move because they're doing it ahead of Ragnarok, so they're just trying to like boost player base, and they're trying to get like more players playing so that they can boost their Ragnarok numbers. It's a marketing move. I give you a point if you can say like, what's the point? Like, do you think they're going to bring? Ragnarok over to PC. No, not to start, but they're just trying to like boost the hype so that <laughs> then players can come in and be like, okay, I know what God of War is about. Uh, maybe they drag them into a PlayStation purchase for uh, Ragnarok. If, if they can find one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something to bring up is this is the first month, September, was the first month in reported sales. Uh, Nintendo Switch was not first place. PlayStation 5 ah, was wow. number one last month. Doesn't surprise me. Like, really? with, yeah, after all the shit talk we gave the switch, like <laughs> they're, they're like underwhelming performance of the, whatever the family version and like the, Oh, we're doing OLED or whatever. Like they're, they are underperforming in the race for consoles slash like whatever. I think a part of it is just due to the I games. Agree. Yeah. I, I think it's part of the games. I don't think it's anything to do with the actual console hardware or anything like that. I want to give you down because I think Nintendo's kind of killing it right now. Really? As far as they're like, I'm buying every title that I'm buying until the end of the year is going to be a Nintendo title. I think it's timing and also the Nintendo Switch is marketed. We've talked about this marketed towards families. That's a really broad audience. And the Xbox and PlayStation are fighting for the same audience of yeah. like couch gamers. Yeah. That's true. I think Microsoft has taken two shots across the bow recently that PlayStation has had to respond to in some way. One is the Game Pass you guys talked about. Yep. For me, with Game Pass, it's sweet. Like having a PC and yeah. an Xbox, it's like the same pool of games plus some more yeah. on PC all through one subscription. Keep going. We want sponsorship. <laughs> <laughs> Just a plug, real quick plug here. Uh, yeah, and I think um, the other one is Microsoft's uh, acquisition of Bethesda. Yep. Huge, right? Big deal. I mean, definitely. PlayStation had like has f- had to find a way to respond fast, I think. Yeah. 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 So they're capturing, uh, they're, I mean, they're trying to make a grab on the market, in the PC market. Right. I want to, put into perspective, like other than, I mean, even Spider-Man, these are like four year plus games. Mm -hmm. A little too late if you ask me to the Steam marketplace, like, can we see anything bad about this? Any publicity that like, would say PlayStation needs to get a little bit more like God of War, Ragnarok has to be on. PlayStation or um, P- PC when it releases. I mean, at this point, it's like, come on, you you market that as a PS5 release. Then you said like, oh, now we're downgrading so PS4 can play it. Now you put like, why not put it on PC, PC at this point? That's why I asked the question. Like, as the, the PlayStation Network or PlayStation players, probably that fan base is a little disappointed because yeah. they want to see the exclusivity. Yeah. That's why they buy Playstations and why they play those games. Right. So if you're seeing a PC version, it's like, well, fuck, I had my PC sitting there. Yeah. Why did I play it? Buy this PlayStation. I disagree. I disagree. Okay, why? (laughs) I don't have to tell you why, Trey. (laughs) I I disagree because I don't think people prefer it one way or the other, right? Sony's who's buying a PS5 isn't necessarily the same person buying a gaming PC. A gaming PC is roughly like two to three times the cost of a PS5. True. I don't think every PC player is buying a gaming PC though. Well, like you are fucking bad. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. They're bad, but yeah, that honestly is their bad. Like they have the entire generation of PlayStation four to fuck that model get, went down to so low prices. Like mm-hmm. they could have bought it at any time, but look at Roman Roman's been trying to 
build his own PC and can't get the parts. And so like there's, yeah. there's a yeah. lot of barriers for a gaming PC that a lot of people don't but do. I, I, like I think true. about like, you know, especially like work from home environment. Like there's people who are hardcore PC gamers. Like they can work a full day and then sit on their PC and game some more. I cannot sit on my computer oh, and God, play after, so, after yeah. a day of work. So right. like, yeah, I, I don't think it's comparable. Like I've I don't definitely think, had that problem. Like ex- after exactly. work, it's like, oh, I'm staring at the same screen, same keyboard. Uh, and I don't want to be on a keyboard anymore. I want to yeah. go over to <laughs> Oh, that was cute. Um, I don't want to go over to a fucking keyboard again to play my games. I want to go over to a controller that looks sexy, which I think the PlayStation Five controller looks. Oh like. yeah. Oh well, and we've talked about this before. The draw of a console being you sit on the couch to play. Yeah, and yeah. That kind of captures maybe a little nostalgia from when you're a kid, whatever. But like, yeah, you don't want to sit in front of the same computer all day long. That's yep. kind of the draw of a console. So, it's it's something that. PlayStation's maybe infringing upon a little bit as their identity, but yeah. at the end of the day, it sounds like uh, Brandon's our only uh, uh, sample here. So, so are you changing <laughs> your point, Trey? <laughs> no, no. I'm just trying to like understand why, if if there's any um, like brand betrayal to their player base. But I mean, as Brandon is our only sample here, we we just have to go on his word and I, yes. I don't trust it. So. I mean, I, I don't think so. I mean, I, there could be... I, I honestly don't see too much overlap there with someone who like has a PC and a PS5 who's just like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know why, but I've always been an Xbox guy. I've always just said, like, I'm playing all my multiplayer games on there and I always was butthurt in PS, like the PS4 generation that all the great titles, like Xbox One didn't have shit. PS4 had like 20 plus. Oh yeah. And it's like, I feel a little butthurt because now that I have a PS5 and an Xbox Series X, like I don't have a console and I'm like, well, you fuckers better just get with it and spend instead of like a thousand dollars on the next like thirty ninety, like buy, buy a fucking PS5 for yeah. the same amount of money aftermarket mm-hmm. shit. Yeah. yeah. And also, um, shit, what was I going to say? <laughs> I, I was reading, this is funny you Down said that boat. because I was reading like, I'm curious, I bought an Alienware last year so I could play Flight Simulator, which got a 10 out of 10 on IGN. I yeah, just Game of the Sponsor us. Sponsor us. Flight Simulator. Game of the Year edition coming out for Flight Simulator. That's right, that's right. Um, and I was curious because I got a Series X, you know, uh, this summer and I'm like, what is the equivalent really with a gaming PC, like Series X equals what specifications a game? And it's like hard to do a one-to-one, but I've, I've heard that like a 3070 is actually like equivalent to the next gen, which is like, dang, if you want to get a gaming PC right now at a 3070, you're going to drop like 2000 bucks yeah. almost. Yeah. Maybe it's all over-marketed hype. Yeah. I mean, so that's an interesting, like the next, next gen is like way caught up to... I mean, that's the thing is like, it's seven generation. I, I don't know. I always feel like the console si- cycle goes in seven years or so. Right. It's kind of yeah. so five, five to seven years. You, yeah. That your hardware has to last that seven years. So in seven years time, you know, the, the, hardware of a PC is going to be exponentially better because they can keep improving. True. Yeah. Or you can keep spending money as opposed to just buying a fucking piece of hardware for five years, five to seven years that says like, ah, oh, we're good to run these games. And I, I get the argument with pro models and just like, you know, the revisions that they've had to each one, like the OLED just came out, but right, but that's marginally different. All you free market guys, you know, the market and the PC is just going to keep uh, fostering that that Kanban model, you know, constant improvement. So it's yeah. just, you know, they, that's the nature of the capitalist market. Right? So I remember my point from earlier. I think the only thing that uh, PC or Sony gamers are going to be mad at is the comparison to the Xbox side, right? If I buy a game for Xbox, I can play it on my PC. Buy a game for Sony, I have to buy it separately on my PC. So that's like, yeah. the, that's like the only thing that could infringe on what you're saying, Trey, mm-hmm. that like, you know, there's going to be some betrayal or some sense of like, I'm not being supported as a customer. I'm not getting the full experience because I can't really jump between both. Almost like the D&D situation, right? Right. Let me remind you, this is coming out on Steam for $49.99. Where are you going to spend 49 or 50 bucks just to fucking... 
play this game. No. If you haven't already. Oh, if I haven't already, definitely. definitely. Right. Yeah, that game is so worth it. We also talked about the rising cost that it takes to make these games, and they're still being sold at the same $60 yeah. benchmark. And so it's maybe they're trying to bridge that gap as well and trying to like boost the sale there a little bit. Well, they've definitely snuck in a lot of little tactics to get you to spend more than 60 these days because there's a lot of games. Ultimate. A lot of games that will, yeah, the ultimate is like, special. Which it's not giving you $40 of content really, but you know. Dude, we, who's up for game of the year this year, Alex? Flight Simulator. <laughs> Dude, we could do a whole topic on how like games have gotten clever on like getting you to spend more than the $60 mark in terms of like ultimate edition, special edition, so like, subscription. Pre-orders. I mean, yeah. yeah. Skins for your guns. Like I'll just take the base gun. Thank yeah. you. Like, whatever. Yeah. Honestly, with that fucking last topic, that that puts you over the mark. So Brandon wins that round. God, hey, as well as a great topic suggestion for the next one. We'll see you soon. Let's, Let's do, do it. it. Jinx, you owe me friendship. A okay, a chocolate. Milk. We can do friendship. Okay. I'll settle for friendship. Brandon, the chocolate milk you made me is too hot. Oh, are we starting? <laughs> we are starting. Chocolate milk's too hot, and we got to talk about some <laughs> shady business practices that a lot of companies are doing nowadays to stretch that MSRP $60, $70, you know, I buy this game, stretch it out. How much money can we milk out of the consumer after then? So let's talk about it. What is the shadiest shit that you guys have seen in uh, video game microtransactions? Anything EA has ever done. <laughs> Not really obvious. I mean, EA's kind of the fucking king of that shit. Yeah, I mean, Hawaii literally had to like pass a bill to almost ban EA games. Because <laughs> what, like was, for gambling? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which is so nuts. Multiple countries, you know. Yeah, leave, it to, leave it to Hawaii, dude. Hawaii to be the moral compass of the US. EA is, That's right. EA's kind of the poster boy of it, but but we've talked about they're trying to get that brand image back of like trying to go away from the the over overuse of microtransactions. So I don't know. I haven't kept up on it. Is it still a situation? It's still bad. But I think like going back to the main question is just like that $60 price point has been consistent since Xbox 360, right? Oh, like before. Uh, and PS3, PS3, Xbox 360. And I don't think, I think GameCube was like $40 games. Yeah. I think so. It was yeah. right. So this whole thing was spiraling out of control. And then Star Wars Battlefront 2 happened. Yes. You guys remember this? That was a breaking point. That was a breaking point where the consumers finally like, rose yeah, up and said, remember we that. are not going to put up with this. And it actually kind of stopped the, the trend it was on, which is going most like just so ridiculous. Downvoted right? red post. Yeah. You for referring to the EA. Yes. Yeah. That whole thing. Yeah. And there was actual regulation, um, backlash in Europe. And so yeah. it's just like they, that was the breaking point. You're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. Which is so funny. Cause you compare that to a game like uh, Genshin impact where their whole model, that whole gameplay is literally like what EA got so much backlash for mm. but that game still is very popular and very positively held but like of course it's kind of like oh you have to pay so fucking much but like the company's like big fucking whoop go play a different game you know <laughs> <laughs> they, they don't give so a shit so if they yeah. just embrace it <laughs> yeah I mean you own it or you don't don't yeah. try to act like you're like doing the right thing you know but well, we got some things upcoming two from Rockstar which is the uh, GTA Online um, Xbox right. Series X and PS5 update we know they can run on that as well as the, the trilogy remastered we also have have Skyrim's anniversary edition. Uh, and this really begs this question. It's like, how much of this motherfucking game can we buy until it's like, <laughs> you, you Dude, know what I mean? It's like, it's, I thought we already had game. an anniversary. Give, give, this, give this to Alex. Alex has bought Skyrim probably five I brought, times. I brought, yeah, they got me. Uh, I'm there. Yeah, I got, I, they got I, me good. I, as a person who's also bought it like close to five times on yeah. every platform. Yeah. 
I, I get the it. two things I haven't done though, and I'll hang my hat on this is I haven't bought it for Switch, so I didn't fall for that <laughs> trap. I swear you bought it for Switch. And no, I didn't. I oh didn't. My God. I thought about it. I, I you have know, the idea Switch. of Skyrim on a plane. Like, yes, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I never played Skyrim on a plane, but I have Skyrim on my fucking That's Switch right. for like, this reason. And I didn't. I didn't get the Alexa version. Have you heard about this? You the, can play Skyrim yeah. like vocally. On yeah. a, <laughs> oh my God! The mountain lays before you. <laughs> I climb it. That's so stupid. I mean, so those are games. I I bring those up just for the the topic of GTA 5 and Skyrim. 10-year games by nobody's, like, I don't know. Who would have thought those would be 10-year games? But, like, they're able to do the microtransaction side of it, at least, like, uh, Rockstar is through the, you know, their online side of things. But... I don't know. Everybody, season passes. Let's talk about gun skins. Let's talk about other ways that we can milk uh, players' ultimate teams in FIFA and Madden. Loot boxes. Loot boxes. And I'm going to plug my own topic from last week, but imagine where you didn't have to spend, almost like what Call of Duty is doing, right? Because Call of Duty in the game, like as you play, you get coins, Mm -hmm. right? You can acquire coins and then you can actually buy skins or buy a battle pass with those coins acquired. There's ways that you can like set yourself to have more of those coins, but imagine where like the company or the studio did not control the economy for buying skins, battle passes or anything. It was dictated by uh, in-game trades, in-game skins, in-game achievements. Oh, you're talking about new world. Oh God. Kind of. Yeah. But like, imagine like where you could use like, it's almost kind of going to the crypto argument in games where it's like, Mm. you know, you're letting players dictate (laughs) the value of items and how much they pay for it. I'm mad. I see what what you're saying. But like, I'm just saying like, that's a potential potential way that this could go like there's such a there's such a I mean we're so close to this happening I true I think but also as long as you're operating on some company's platform they're gonna want a piece of that pie like they're gonna want something out of that transaction and so they're gonna try and abuse it as much as possible oh you have you have good faith in the in corporations their their valuation the company's valuation by having the in-game economy they're worth as much as the economy in-game is worth but okay here's the one thing though you the (laughs) in-game economies if left to the players they have to be executed really well and new world right now is a really it's terrible right have you seen the deflation like crisis that's happening on new world so basically there's not enough coins being created in the game and since everything (laughs) is being like controlled amongst players like the it's it's like an economic crisis oh you mean there's not enough coins you're describing a market failure there's literally a market failure playing right now yeah yeah, so this is what I talked about with our, our first episode of the season, right? It's like New World, there's no NPCs, there's no like vendors or anything. It's all, I guess, all of the in-game resources is based on players going and grinding to get those resources and put on the open market. And then they are able to determine what the coin value is. Mm-hmm. Coin values are acquired over quests and rewards and stuff like that. You cannot buy these, as in I cannot spend you, my mom's credit card. You cannot spend your credit card to get more coins. And that's, that's, that's the problem is my mom's. Yeah. The, so the coin total population is too low. Like yeah. they didn't create it. It's literally like that's an crazy. economic problem. So wow. imagine, imagine like, okay, I need a lot of stone, like, and I need to buy it, but I don't have enough money to buy it. But, oh, timber selling for a lot. So I'm going to go like grind to get a lot of timber. Okay. Now I have timber and I have stone, but we can't trade timber for stone. We have to sell the timber first before we have money to buy the stone. Right. So it's like Alex is saying, because you can't trade one for one, you need to have like a coin in the middle to like, sell and purchase other resources. A currency. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) My God. (laughs) But because you need a currency in the middle, you can't just trade one for one. There's a shortage of the currency. So like people are just having a lot of the resources and no way to trade it other than a limited (laughs) currency. Yeah. So the people, so people are resorting to like manually bartering like oh to go around the so literally the economy dope. is devolved <laughs> like going back to party. so you're telling me a free market isn't perfect yeah. <laughs> it's not but imagine imagine if that like imagine if coin was like 
if that was kind of a crypto based, right? If yeah. like, instead of doing in-game coin, it was like an actual value that you can trade on the open market. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah then, that would be so fun. And then that outside controlled cryptocurrency gets uh, uh, pulled the rug out from under it and yeah. a complete Ponzi scheme. And right. all of a sudden, all these 14 year olds are left with worthless coin and they yeah. have no idea. What, exactly. Yeah, so I, I think connecting into the original topic, like there's still a lot of things <laughs> up to the imagination that companies can use to increase the amount of money spent on their games. Um, luckily, they haven't gotten too fucked up with blockchain yet. So we'll hope that like waits a bit. Oh God. I hope it comes sooner. You guys aren't but, familiar yeah. with Madden ultimate teams or FIFA ultimate teams. Are nope. you? I mean, it, it, what you guys are describing has been what they've been doing since 2012. Right. Like, like there's a card of a player and he has a stat and yep. you know, they'll release this new updated version of them, yep. but there's, there's a virtual currency and they're called Madden coins or FIFA coins and shit. And it's like, you cannot buy those, but like that's, that's what dictates it. Like there's apps and shit that like, go on like to the side that show you how much you could sell this card for. Yep. And, and these are cards bought from packs and stuff. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it really comes down to TCG shit. So what you guys are, what, why I bring this up is what you're describing to me is no different from this. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. You said it earlier, Trey, like the free market does not fucking work because it's, I feel like Madden ultimate well, like team thief is just fucking bullshit. Yeah. The whole thing is like, it, it got old back then for me because the whole purpose is to get a team of 99 overall players. Yeah. So that you can play other people with 99 overall players. And it's like, okay. Yeah. And then you can just get like, I mean, is there any PVP in there is. New World? There is. Yeah. But it has no active benefit besides experience, right? You it's just an eternal grind is what yeah. it seems. Territories. Like it's kind of interesting. There's territories vying for control of this map. Yeah, I, get, but they I, just, I guess that's the incentive, right? Because if you, if you are doing PVP, like you can take over towns. And yeah. once you have those towns, you get a cut of the percentage of all trades that happen in that town. Right. So mm-hmm. like, it sounds super fun. It just needs more time time more like uh more, more incentive to play yeah, yeah and yeah. to get the kinks out too yeah. like they're just yeah. this is one of the first times i've seen this many people playing like an yeah. economic strategy game yeah, yeah and so they they just need more time for the simulation to run i think well like, they have yeah. taxes in the game that's dude which is really so funny because they basically set up a broken economy now they need to introduce like a central bank the taxes go to whoever owns the town god damn it so if you, oh, you fa- tell me about this. Yeah, yeah if you're a faction that owns the town everyone has to pay taxes and everything but those tax go into your bank so you get that coin now it reminds me of sword art online where you just have these Dude. people like so committed to yeah. like yeah. building something we, like, should, just, we yeah. should go in there and like create spreadsheets and be- become the game's central bank you could essentially create a mafia Dude. within the game like yeah. you, you could go flood one faction and control all outposts oh you mean another market failure yeah. <laughs> you guys are looking pretty tired at this point let me loop this all back. So we're talking about multiplayer games such as New World thus far. How do we continue? Like, say, let's get back to God of War. Mm. These motherfuckers, at least this point, um, multiple releases across multiple platforms. How do you extend a single player campaign to be as, I don't know, interesting as a multiplayer campaign? You don't. Yeah. I, I don't know if there is a way. Like, uh, besides DLC. That's about all you got. DLC, mods. Mods are a great way. Like, mods pretty much, like, yeah. recreated a whole new That's Skyrim That's a very good game. point. Mods, I'll give that yeah. to you. Nice. Just because of the fact that, like, this anniversary edition of Skyrim mm. is, like... Is it a backlash to the modern community, which, like, Rockstar has also been vocally against? Yeah, well... The Bethesda did the whole creation club, which I was actually reading about that too, and that got a lot of backlash because they started paying people from the modding community to be on their platform. Oh, with mods, wow. Which, would, which obviously people would get upset about. Yeah. But there's still mods that are free that are like just as good. Um, yeah. So I think everyone kind of lived with it. I think the question for the anniversary edition is will there still be any mods? So they have to redo them all. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Tallying up that score, it looks like Alex is the taker of that round, and we're moving on to round five. 
I got that round. How did I get that? Because you're just a great guy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. 2021 is coming to an end, and I don't know if it's been good for you, but hopefully it has been. Regardless, movies and games. Let's talk about our top favorite ones. Who wants to start first with best movie of 21? 2021 so far. Trey was talking to me um, off mic. He said Snake Eyes is his favorite movie. <laughs> it's a great movie. No, I, I have not seen it. <laughs> Does The Bachelorette count as a movie? <laughs> One long movie. Um, I mean, in the critic reviews, probably Green Knight. Like, I think critically, oh. that is a very good movie. It doesn't get the success that it deserves in terms. I mean, it's A24, so it's just a little bit, you know, pretentious <laughs> yeah exactly sorry i'm sucking their dick right now yeah exactly they're pretty pretentious but i like it like as much as we love to talk about a24 i'm between that and maybe zola if you guys haven't seen zola it's so so good so good but again a24 a little pretentious a little out there give me a pitch i haven't seen zola uh it's all from a reddit thread that was so crazy they had to turn it into a movie about two strippers trashing each other on the internet is this a netflix uh yeah no it's uh i think it was in theaters like a month or two ago it might be on hbo but it's really good check it out all right movie to trey he's gonna say green knight alex I could be a little biased here because we just saw it the other day, but I got to say, dude. (laughs) Yeah, dude, I agree with you. (laughs) (laughs) Just so good. I mean, for all the reasons we said, like, lived up to the hype. uh, Amazing score. We'll Uh, probably see the critical and, like, general success of it in the next couple weeks here. I think so, yeah. What was your favorite scene in it? Favorite scene? Um, I think I liked... Spoiler alert. Where... I think when they ran from the sandworms, even though you knew, like... It's totally... Wait, there's sandworms in there? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Uh, Yeah, I mean, when they're like running to the like high ground or to the rocks, like I love that part of the book, just the, I mean, it's Mm -hmm. pretty corny, but because it reminds me of Tremors. Yeah, like you you know they're going to make it, but just then they capture the intensity of it. So like, it felt like the sandworm was under my seat. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The audio quality was there. Guys, we got to go. Yeah. (laughs) We got Green Knight Dune and are you doubling down on Dune? He's going to say Demon Slayer. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great movie, okay? It's emotional. Actually, I don't even think that was like as good as it got the hype for. It was great, but it wasn't like, you know, better than your name. Um, Yeah, I I have to go on Dune just because the combination, just because the grand scale of it and the target audience as well as like just how well they did. And, you know, I I hate to double down on an answer um, because you know how original I am typically, obviously. Right. (laughs) It's <laughs> sure, sure. like so original, but I'm going to give to Trey on that round because I do agree. Green Knight has been my favorite movie thus All far. All I have to say is A24 and I get a point. <laughs> Trey knows uh, how to suck the right Monopoly, <laughs> A24. What's, um, what about, what about a uh, French connection, Ty? French Dispatch? French Dispatch. Downvote, yeah. downvote. Dude, he's pay, he's pay. I didn't see it. <laughs> the French Dispatch is one of those, I don't know. Uh, it's the same way that I felt about Grand Budapest Hotel. It's like, I will probably enjoy this a lot more from a DVD release. Yeah, that's know? a good point. Okay. I mean, yeah. they switched a lot between the 4-3 aspect ratio to widescreen, which is really cool, and they oh. used it really effectively, and they had really good animation. Great movie. Dune is also like one of those movies like I could watch right now, and I, I should be just so that I could say like a greater, deeper appreciation for it. Dune is a 
great movie, but I do have to give Green Knight to you because I just have sat with that movie for so much longer and it has like stayed in my mind. The, Dude, yeah, the I'm longer still scenes. thinking about it. Um, yeah. I would also throw out, if you guys haven't seen it, Plan B. It's very much like a Harold and Kumar style, like oh, um, adventure romp, comedy romp, but it's like very topical for the time, kind of hits on like good uh, women's rights, like uh, access to, you know, all that kind of stuff in, in Canada. But it was really funny and they framed it so well. And I have never heard of either of those actresses and they nailed it. So check out plan B. I know we have a lot of laughs on the podcast guys, but Trey can just be so real sometimes. I I try. I I like to relate to the audience. (laughs) Um, I'm I'm very blue collar. I'm the only one here without a master's. I I wanted to go on record too, (laughs) that Trey specifically downvotes us for pandering. So (laughs) Hey, you know, different hosting styles, (laughs) different hosts, different strokes, baby. Uh, We're going to start with you, Brandon on best video game of 2020. Oh my gosh. Best video game. Um, I think Deathloop is going to take it. Do you think so? Yeah, I think like looking at all the games, like I was, I was thinking about the games that we played this year, like Returnal, such a great game. Um, yeah, I mean that's what I would say is my number one. Is yeah. that like an indie breakout or Returnal was a rogue, was a third person rogue shooter. Okay, uh, which like is so funny because Deathloop is like essentially like a first person rogue shooter. So I feel like rogue shooters are just like or rogues in general. The rogue like genre is just like a live dominating. It. I don't know yeah. much about the production side. I feel like Roman always is pretty knowledgeable on that. But I would just be interested to see like who did Returnals, who did Deathloop. Like I have no idea about that, but I I feel like Returnals seems to me like more of a breakout standout and Deathloop probably will take the entire the 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 entire you know game of the year yeah I think two games that do rival or pose a threat would be one it takes two great gas game and then the second one is going to be the Mass Effect Legendary Edition I was going to say really think so you think the those those are the two things that pose a threat to Deathloop see I I want to take Mass Effect out of there just because it's a fucking like it's a, it's, a it's a remake. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I played the shit out of it and I bought it. Yes. But like, I wouldn't consider it like a, oh yeah, that's my highlight of 2021. As yeah. Well as I think that's a pretty whack take. I would almost take a point away from Brandon. At this point, but. <laughs> well, you're, you're not the host today. <laughs> All right. We got Deathloop from UBK, but what about you, Alex? What do you think? I was thinking of saying Deathloop, but I haven't played it myself. So until I play it myself, I'll... you remember, you remember we played at, at Nick's place. Well, I haven't played it myself for more than five minutes on someone else's console. That's all you need, console. dude. That's all you need. <laughs> but if I say game of the year, what does that I, say to you? So I, I was looking it up and actually I get to say flight simulator because <laughs> technically it was released in 2021 myself on a new platform and you're going to laugh, but that is actually my choice. Cause it's ridiculous. I mean, if you haven't looked at it, it's like petabytes of data. The whole, I'm the whole earth is on it. And and like you, I mean, I, I flew over my apartment and I'm like, that's my apartment. (laughs) What was that trend? People flying planes into like the friend's houses and sending screenshots. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Since you motherfucking responded to it. I like the letter. It was like, Hey, we landed at Epstein's Island so we can figure out this case for ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I, I was highly impressed with like, okay, one download size of fucking like, um, Flight simulator compared to like Call of Duty, same mm. download size, but like, yeah, I mean, they mapped out this entire world, yeah. And Call of Duty just had a graphical boost. No, That's right. I like that they're just going ahead with a game of the year edition, anyways. They're just like, like we're we gonna know do we got it. it. Yeah. <laughs> That's a big dick move. That is, that's pretty funny. Actually. And for Flight Simulator to do that, like any yeah. other game, I'd be yeah. like, who the fuck are you? But yeah. Flight Simulator, I'm like, I'll give it. Yeah, a they pass. have Age of <laughs> Empires four and Halo still release, and they're just like, yeah, we're going to give it a fucking Flight Simulator. <laughs> What about you, Trey? What do you got for Game of the Year? Uh, it's going to come down to Deathloop or maybe even Flight Simulator. Like, 
they're the only 10 out of 10s this year. So just to like throw in another contender, I'll say new world because like, I can't think of another economy based like uh, MMO that, yeah. that is, I, I think that's just such a crazy take to, to do it and to pull it off. If they can manage the, the huge problems they're facing, apparently <laughs> they bail out the economy. <laughs> yeah. We need a bailout package, yes. but <laughs> a oh, stimulus. Oh, so you think death loop is 10 out of 10? Uh, it, uh, there's undeniable that IGN <laughs> gave it a 10 out of 10. <laughs> I but, don't but think Trey, it, what do you think? It Why don't you not, be true to your values for once in your life? It should not be a 10 out of 10. It, it does not. I don't Why? think. Because you watched me for an hour. Just I fucking watched killing it. it. I watched it for an hour. It didn't seem hard. <laughs> yeah, because I'm really good at the game. I I'm just a gamer boy. Debatable. You did lose. <laughs> Did you death in that I, loop? Did I, oh, yeah, I died. But I, I pretty much like one shot of the game in front of Trey. And Trey was like, 10 out of 10. It seems too, <laughs> seems too easy to me. It was like after like like probably 20 hours of gameplay, I'm just like one shot in front of Trey. And he's like, he's like, this is too easy. Flight simulator looks harder. Have you all seen the YouTube clips of people on like Dishonored 2 and like Deathloop doing the crazy stuff where they like throw no. a glass in the air, they zoom across, the glass hits the guy, they like stab the guy. It's just, <laughs> and they do this for like 10 minutes. Like you should watch it. It's ridiculous. That's awesome. Yeah. I don't know how to feel about that one because we got what? Deathloop and uh, Flight Simulator? Yeah. We basically just followed IGN. I want to say well, Deathloop to BK <laughs> yeah. just because, I, one, I haven't fucking played it and I guess we're just sucking IGN's dick at this point. Like, <laughs> Well, we talked about like who who decides these things. It's just like, it's basically an academy like at the Oscars. It's just like people from the industry. I, I, so, I, I don't even think it's that. Like they're like, yeah, we could put game of the year on this. Like nobody will like say I, we can't. I think, I think they have a number of critics who kind of get together. Um, and I think this was part of the issue with who won it. Was it The Last of Us 2? last year yeah. i think so it was yeah. a while ago but like it's uh it's a host of critics but like i think they're easily swayed and like it's almost like jury opinion you know right. it's like it's pretty easy to control that i'm sure it's lobbied also yeah like, there's fucking money coming from these definitely yeah. yeah so it's definitely not player's choice it's a bunch of critics who yeah. like very much are easily swayed so like has a non-triple-a game ever yeah. one i don't know and it's just where it's the same with movies like we're seeing more and more of a disconnect between like critical success versus the audience and so when you're seeing you know the the audience or the um attendance of like these or viewership of these like award ceremonies decreasing year after year and you're just like why are we still doing this why are we listening to these people who are so far disconnected from what the audience feels that's my opinion on this like i i just i don't know if it's if it is uh, successful for the public. Why give it a game of the year if it's something else? What do you, can you, I'm gonna give this to you, Trey. So I haven't trusted game of the year since, I don't know, 2018 when Fortnite won over Red Dead Redemption 2, which doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but like, I don't know. What do you, I mean, Hades won last year, right? I, I, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me either. Really? I mean, I guess it's the same thing with streaming and like how, um, yes, this music did not release in this year that it won, like, but it was the most streamed or like, a, you know, listened to commercial song of that year. So it technically counts, but you know, now we're going back to Fortnite, which released in 2016, 17, and then for Hades did 2018, but it's getting game of the year nominations in 2021. Like, yeah, give me this trade. This is for tiebreaker between you and Brandon. Like, what do you got? Don't like, do it, Trey. What, give me a hot take. I, I just, I, I, I think that the, the critical measure of success is disconnected from the public. And so when you have people, you have a mass of people saying and can prove like they're buying this game and then critically they're saying, well, we like this one. 
we like a different one. Oh, can I jump in? Or yeah. to put it a different way, if it's not disconnected from the public, it's actually like kind of a circular, like serving the public and then feeding back into itself. Sure. You know, the fact like we have proclaimed this a AAA title. Everybody plays it. Right. You got them. Yeah. So yeah. it's kind of hard. It's like chicken and egg. You know? Yeah. I, I think there should probably, <laughs> you're going to hate me for saying this. I, I, I think there should be a sub metric involved with determining game of the year. Like it should be a combination of rating and like how many people played the game and sure. like how that equates as well as time played the game as well as like, um, amount of achievements gained per player in the game. Like if it has that amount, like you're measuring multiple things and you're kind of telling them up. So it's like, okay, overall it got this rating as this much of a player base and as this much, this much people who are actually doing like some of the end game as well as like further game content, if they were to do that, I think that would culminate a better opinion on what's the game of the year as opposed to like, like, oh, this game's woke. Like, let's do this. Or like, oh, this game taking got 10 some, out of 10. Yeah. Taking the subjectivity yeah. out yeah. of the, the judgment process. Exactly. True. There will be a tiebreaker. Okay. Yeah. I'll take it. Oh, I, that's as sumptuous. It is you. But oh, you had a great point, Alex. But hey, we're going tiebreaker with Trey and BK. We'll see you next round. Once again, bringing up our first topic, we saw Dune over the weekend, and I just want to say it was a star-studded cast. The question that I have for the last two finalists is, who is the best supporting actor that wasn't Timothy Chalamet that had the most rising screen time? I'll take it. Oscar Isaac. You got a minute. So, I mean, in the book, Oscar Isaac is regarded as like one of the most overlooked people in the history of like within the Dune universe. Um, and it's really interesting because Oscar Isaac is a big name, but he managed to like have such a good presence so early on in the film without completely overshadowing Timothee. Um, so, I, I mean, I think he did a great job. Like he made the most out of his role. And like it was I think his role only made up for like half the movie or like two thirds of the movie. Um, but he left a lasting impression and it's just kind of like you walked away thinking like, okay, this is who Paul has to aspire to. And this is who like inspired Paul to, to be the leader that he is. So he accomplished his job. He made the most out of the role and he was able to like leave a lasting impression on the audience. So got 10 seconds left. We forfeiting it. Fuck you, Trey. Yep. Good. <laughs> Sounds like it. Oscar Isaac. Trazer, what you got for him? <laughs> I'll tell you right now, Javier Bardem. Uh, I haven't read the book in a long time, but coming in to this, like it, with it in the back of my mind, I was afraid of the depiction of the Fremen. And I was afraid like, you know, with, uh, the kind of Islamic commenta- connotations that the, that culture carries in the book, like how they were going to portray it. They, I think they managed to stray away from it enough with Javier Bardem. They also managed using his character to give a lot of con- context to the culture in Dune of like the value of water, the value that the freemen hold and um, in the, the honor is out the window compared to like, he was such a dichotomic uh, uh, depiction between the freemen and the aristocracy in that first meeting when they have their, their like detente between the two parties. So when you see the contrast between the Fremen and the aristocracy, it was such a good defining moment for that people in the book. And just to be clear, you were talking about Duke Leto. Duke Leto. And okay. you were talking about Stilgar. Okay. Yeah. You both used the actors' names. Minus 10. Just kidding. Well, it's that supporting actor, not supporting actor. Big Dick's not here. Not even hosting. He's fucking coming on strong. Give him a point. Brandon. Bruh. 
Trey. Let's go. Ah. Fremen for the win, baby. Javi, no, great. I mean, I I love the way that, like, okay, Oscar Isaac's such a fucking screen presence, but they used, like, the right amount of him for the role that they needed to use him in, and it's like, it was the perfect amount of him. Javier Bardem, like, the way that you approached that topic of just, like, this is a sensitive thing that you could do as far as, like, you know, cultural appropriation. There's a lot of ways they can mishandle it, and I think Javier Bardem and using the Freeman the way they did just really, like they did a service to it and enough of a separation where you kind of like take some of that out. Yeah, of it. honestly. And I even ordered to give that to Trey. Like it was, yeah. it was a good argument. Just like, you know, like Oscar Isaac and the role of Duke Leto, like that's a very clearly defined, like powerful role. Who's just a good guy, but like there's more ambiguity with Stilgar as a character yeah. in the book. So I like, think it was handled. I well. like, like Oscar Isaac was, he did what he had to Don't do. Don't patronize me. <laughs> 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 All right. You're right. Fuck you. <laughs> All right, Trey, what do you got to say? You're next week's host. Uh, I'm just, to yours. you know, it's been a long time since I've held the mantle and it's going to be a long time afterwards. Oh dude, this crown is so heavy. I, I feel it already. <laughs> so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. All right. Well, thank you for listening to this episode. Who knows? You know, <laughs> conversation. We'll see you next week with Trey hosting. All what? right.